1: Jen in Ocala, Florida, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 10th, 2020, episode 2516. This episode is brought to you today by Horseware. Good morning, horse world. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. Mary Kitzmiller, who is always here on this day of the month, is out collecting intel for upcoming episodes. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece from the Hitam Audio Vaults.
2: <music> never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning.
0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Now, normally, Emily would be here on this uh, first Tuesday of the month, and then Mary would be on Thursday. But we switched them today. Mary was kind enough to do that because I am heading to Wellington and going to be doing the show live with Emily on Thursday. So it kind of worked out that we could just do it together. And, Mary, thank you so much for switching up on us today.
2: Not a problem. I have no social life, so this is not a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, Mary is on her phone because her internet—well, this is one of the issues of doing a podcasting network for horse people and having hosts that actually live on farms. You really want our hosts to be on farms with horses and doing things with horses, but the negative part of that is their internet sucks. So, Mary, you have HughesNet, right, or one of those satellites?
2: Uh, I have CenturyLink, which is a terrible country, company, and I hope they suffer in <laughs>
0: some way, because
2: they have horrible customer service, and this is just any of these country internet companies. They load up way too many people on the network, and it's just a pain in the butt. And, yeah, if, there's uh, two of you,
0: if your two neighbor kids are playing video games, you're screwed.
2: <laughs> That's which just... I know they are, because they're not doing their homework. But, <laughs> so... So this is an authentic country experience you're getting from me.
0: That's right. On and the landline. On First yeah, of all, who yeah. has a landline anymore? That's number one. Apparently you do.
2: I, I've, got, I've got a rotary phone that I'm, I'm standing <laughs> next to a wall talking right now not really (laughs) but it's almost that way
0: yeah and the the problem we've had with landlines lately is that um (laughs) is that they are so the phones are so old nobody has replaced their landline phone in 30 years so the sound quality of the phones is usually pretty crappy it's funny
2: yeah yeah so much fun
0: It's funny. Anyway, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Jennifer is going to tell us what is coming up on today's show.
1: Coming up on today's Training with Mary Kiss Miller episode brought to you by none other than, or swear, we're going to talk about unicorns, putting on the training miles, and then Auditor Allison is going to take the plunge. She's going to risk life and limb and ask her training question live on the air. And then to wrap things up like a pair of pink sparkly polos, Happy bittersweet chocolate with almonds day! Everybody, join your friends in celebrating this decadent sweet treat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? I guess there has to be a day for chocolate and almonds. So, Mary, uh, we, we have been following your pictures and everything. And so, what the heck is Earl the unicorn? I this is all you normally are posting about your goat, but this past couple of weeks it's been about Earl.
2: Yes. So, um, so yeah, this is a fun little thing. Uh, I, uh, I we have some friends who uh, work at our very favorite local Mexican restaurant, and their little girl was having a birthday party, and uh, she, it's unicorn themed. And so they were talking about how expensive it is to get a unicorn at your birthday party. I mean, hundreds of dollars an hour, and it's a mini pony. Well, let's let's
0: be fair. Unicorns are rare. So yes,
2: yeah. yeah, you know they have to they have to find the unicorn. Obviously, um, transport it
0: all the way from Unicorn Village. I mean, exactly. there's that. Yep,
2: exactly. So. And it, you know, I've looked this up online. It's the cutest thing ever. You get a little mini horse in, in his unicorn regalia, and they do photo shoots and they do birthday parties. And so uh, we offered. You know, they weren't going to be able to get a unicorn because the price was just out of their range. And so uh, we have a mini horse named Earl, and which is a perfect name for a unicorn. And so we ordered a Can I stop
0: you time. right there, Mary? Yes. So yes. you've been doing this show with us for how long? Years, right? Yeah. 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 We've known you for years and years. Uh huh. We've heard about hundreds of animals that you own. Nowhere along the line did we hear you owned a mini.
2: Oh yeah, I've owned I've a few. We have a mini mule. And a mini horse, and they are best friends.
0: <laughs> it's just funny that every time we talk to you there's a new animal that we didn't know about. I
2: know, before. I just <laughs> sneak them on there well, Earl so some I have to say, most of these acquirements are not me, they're my mom, and she came home <laughs> Earl, yeah, yeah and and she drove home, Earl, she drove Earl home in the back seat of our truck, no oh yeah yeah he's he's been he's, he rode real fancy and uh so we had to lift him out of the truck and he's the smallest mini horse I when i first saw him he was he was a little sad looking definitely needed some dewormer um tiniest tiniest little legs and i was afraid that maybe he had a touch of dwarfism or something because he's he's only two and he was really lethargic and he wouldn't move out of a walk. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's got some sort of genetic problems or I don't know much about many, I was just worried he had some sort of problem, you know, that, that can happen if, if you have a horse with dwarfism or, um, but turns out he's completely fine, completely healthy. All he needed was some groceries and good deworming. And now he's, uh, he's very spirited. So when we first were <laughs> like, yeah, we'll bring this half wild pony to your, tiny child's birthday party um i gave him to my assistant put him on her strength to go into specific unicorn training ordered a horn off of etsy and i tell you what this pony has found his calling he rocked it he was amazing um he uh he definitely handles his way around kids but and i think i'm going to change careers now i think you can make a lot of money being a unicorn wrangler
0: we just had a lady on who takes in arizona on monday who has built an entire full-time business out of uh, taking donkeys and just basically donkeys to weddings and parties yeah uh, it's a huge thing i mean she has like four donkeys and mini donkeys now and she works like 7 gigs 10 gigs 20 gigs a week
2: it is very lucrative, and I tell you what—I have the donkeys, so perfect. I could, I could have beer donkeys at weddings. You could. I have thought about this very seriously,
0: <laughs> especially when when the training business is a little slow. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Well, so it's not even that that it's slow. I can, I can get it. You know, I, I get plenty of uh, plenty of training and prospects. But when it comes to, do I want to get bucked off this colt that That's I know true. bucks, that the owner swears doesn't buck, or do I want to go to a wedding with a beer donkey?
0: Well, let me tell I you mean, what. Her donkey rates were 450 to $1,200 in appearance, so I say I vote for the donkey at the wedding.
2: Me too. I won't <laughs> have to wear a helmet for that one. No. Well, probably. You can get all My dressed up, and little... you
0: can drink beer. It's perfect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all the cake, just, free cake and beer for everybody.
2: I wonder, do they have to put a special, I'm sure you answered all these questions. Do they have to put a special diaper on them? Like, how do you handle the poop situation? Well, how I think most of the e-
0: pictures were outside, so they did, they did mostly outside stuff. They were outside weddings or outside parties. Although, I don't, I don't remember seeing any pictures inside, actually. Yeah, uh,
2: but still, if they poop in the middle of a reception, city folks are going to be a little perturbed.
0: Oh, they'll get over it. They're drunk. Yeah, they don't care.
1: It's a <laughs> beer donkey. They're yeah. drinking lots of beer. beer. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, they probably won't care by that point. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what? A, all right. So Earl is a celebrity now. Now, you, yeah, he did. Now we quite, know. I, we know you, Mary. You traded a year's worth of free Mexican food for Earl showing up, didn't you?
2: Ah, uh, no, we probably owed him. They're they're They've. Uh, they, they always know our order when we come in, and we always get the best table. So I think all of that accumulated okay. <laughs> over time, yeah.
0: Well, and what about—it's uh, so funny, because you have in the notes here, and I've been dying to hear about this—teaching Guthrie to smile.
2: Um, yeah, so I had to include that in the notes, because— uh, of all the tricks that I've taught this horse, he does liberty, he does reining, he does flying lead changes, he rides bareback and bridles, he can do a liberty spin, he side passes to and away from me, he's just the most amazing magical horse ever. The one that gave me the most joy was teaching him to smile, and um, if any of you guys have ever taught your horses to smile, it's a double-edged sword, because they really enjoy doing it, and uh, I I inadvertently taught a horse in the past how to smile and I kind of made it a thing where every time he did something good, I'd give him a treat, but before I gave him the treat, I wanted him to smile as well. So this horse actually thought that any time he did something well, he would smile. So he did it every time he backed out of a trailer. Um, He was a reigning horse. (laughs) Yeah. Every time he backed out of the trailer, he smiled in the parking lot for everybody and uh he was a reigning horse, so every time he did a sliding stop, he'd smile at the end of it because <laughs> he knows that he did a really good job. I love and, that. And uh, it's really hard to get him to stop smiling. So you have a horse that's like always in the throes of this weird torquing their neck one way and smiling when you <laughs> when you least want it to happen. And uh, But I taught it to Guthrie against my better judgment, and it was just the cutest thing ever. And I almost made that my training tip because it's actually pretty easy to
0: teach. <laughs> that's funny. So how yeah. do you t- so that's how you taught it? I mean
2: what I do is um and you don't I, I use clicker training because he knows the click, but you don't have to have a clicker trained horse. Uh you do have to be careful if your horse is really grabby with treats. You might want to work on his manners first. But I'll put I'll put the treat in my hand and I kinda let the horse smell it and know that there's a treat there and I'll stick my pointer finger up and kind of tickle their nose. And you have to, you know, avoid getting your hand chomped on. Like I said, if your horse is a a treat monster, just be careful. Um, And I tickle their nose, and as soon as they lift their lip, then I give them the treat. Um, And I just do that. It took me, uh, I did it like for five minutes over one or two days and then he had the weekend off and on Monday he could smile perfectly. And the reason I like to stick my finger up is because then that will become the cue. So after you tickle their lip to get them to smile, pretty soon you kind of stick your pointer finger up um, in the air and put it near their nose and they'll start smiling and you can give them the treat. And then you can start getting it at distances where, you know, they see when your pointer finger goes up. But trust me, once they understand that smiling gets cookies, You'll have to work on getting him not to smile.
0: I, you know, Scooter would be so good at this, Jennifer, because he likes to do it anyway. He would be so good at this. I need. <laughs> yeah, to he teach is into him. the
1: smiling thing. Yeah, right. he yeah. sticks his
0: lip up and he just looks. Like he thinks he's all proud of himself. I think this would be perfect. I, now I got to try it. Yes. Yes. And I um, like the uh, cue, though. That way, they're not doing it just all the weird times.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so. and here is something I learned from clicker training. When an animal, say, so you put a cue to it, your fingers up in the air, and I say smile uh, as well. You know, I use a vocal thing. Um, They will, so Guthrie is in the stage now where he knows that when I tell him to smile and he smiles, he gets a cookie. So he wants to show me his smile all the time. So the way that you fix it, they are, are going to offer it when you don't ask. Like the other day, I asked Guthrie for a rear and he thought, I don't like to put the calories burning into rearing like i don't want to put the effort into it so i'll just smile so i give my big rear cue and he smiles so my rule for if he gives it off cue is no cookie Mm. and they will smile even harder trying to get that cookie from you but as long as you make sure you only give them a treat when it is on cue you should be able to eliminate them smiling off cue which I mean, if it's your personal horse, you're not really showing it or anything, it's adorable when they do it and you don't want them to do it. It's not one of those tricks like a rear where you have to, or Spanish walk where you don't want them throwing that out off cue because it can be dangerous. But uh, it can be inconvenient if you're in a halter class and your horse is just, you know, having a smile contest.
0: I got Pat just uh, sent me a, a question on Facebook, and she said, what exactly do you mean by smiling?
2: Oh yeah, okay. So for a horse, that's a good question. For it's like it's the same thing they do when they're flaying, like when you see a stud who's who's smelling mares is they flip that upper lip straight up.
0: Yeah, that's what my that's what Scooter does. He sticks his lip up, and, and it's at the wrist random times, and usually after he eats. And we're trying to figure out what exactly he's trying to tell us, because he'll do that for five minutes. And we can't figure out if he's trying to tell us something, or he's just showing off, or we just have no idea <laughs> what he's
2: doing. Sometimes I see them do it when it's not specifically like a studly behavior, is I have a Mustang who does it anytime I give her a new cookie um she smiles when she's eating it and uh when i'm trying to wash a horse's face i think they they stick that lip up to try and close their nostrils to keep water from going into their nose oh. um so i never thought about
0: they, that practical thing. <laughs> it's very yeah, practical usually it's
2: just they smell something interesting so if there's like a new treat in their food or something like that, that that's typically when i see it um Unless
0: they have a screw loose, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, you, you everybody can go out and teach their horses to smile. And we'll have a yes. happier horse world because of it. Yes. Now, yes. if we could only teach the owners to smile, we'd be in good shape. All right, oh, so yeah. we can't help them. There's no helping them. All right. No. You wanted to talk, uh, your training tip of the week is all about how a horse needs miles.
2: Yeah, so this you know one of my first bosses um, in the horse world, he said that you know good training involves concentrated training, uh, wet saddle blankets, and miles, and uh, you know all you want to do all three of those things. Uh, you know sometimes just getting a horse to work up a good sweat. Um, whether you're in the arena, you're working over obstacles, you're on the trail, and uh, you combine that with having uh, very concentrated training sessions where we're not just riding around all willy-nilly. We're working on um, taking that jump correctly or working a gait or moving your hindquarters over or learning to side pass. And then the third um, the third thing that comes into play is miles. And I got to thinking about this because I recently went on a 16-mile trail ride, which um, I'm kind of a, a baby on the trail. And so 16 miles was a lot for me, <laughs> but it was also a lot for the horses we took out. And I tell you what, they have been riding amazing since we took them out to do that. And, um, you know, I got to thinking of, of about it because of that trail ride, and then there was a uh, really cute video I posted in the auditor's group about these Alberta buckaroo, these, these Canadian buckaroos who are, they're going out to work for the day, they're doing day working on a ranch, and uh, it's cold, and they've got just a bunch of squirrely horses that are crow-hopping all up and down the road as they go off, um, and you know, I was watching that and I'm like, they don't have to worry about those horses because they're going to go work all day. And by the time that horse does that a few days in a row, he's not going to be so fresh in the morning and silly and wanting to, wanting to do things like that. And so um, putting the miles on the horse is something that I as a horse trainer who works most often in the arena or in my pasture at home, I I can kind of neglect how great that is for a horse. And um, just taking them down the trail, like the, the trail ride we did the other day was 16 miles. And both the horses, you know, was it was a little cool in the morning. They were a little silly tied to the trailer. And when we got on them, we had to kind of take their nose left and right. They were both a little tight. There was a little hump in their back. And we just pointed them down the trail and went. And I tell you what, it was about nine miles before I felt them start to kind of drop their head and really you know, just kind of relax into that trail ride. And by the time we hit 16 miles, those horses, because they're not used to that that kind of trail riding, those horses were ready to go home. And the next day they were both very calm, very willing, very sweet. And um, I think just taking them out and and if you have the opportunity, if you're able, you know, if you're not able to go take them on a trail, Um, riding along your fences in the pasture and just going for a ride. And when I do that kind of trail ride, I'm not training on the horse the whole time. I might direct their feet a little if they're a little silly or they're thinking about spooking or there's something up in the woods that they see. Um, But other than that, I'll just let the trail do the work. And it's amazing what that can do. You You can really work through a lot of issues just giving your horse a good long trail ride with miles and miles to go.
0: Well, you know, this is becoming more and more popular, thankfully, in the show world, even on the English side, about just hacking. And be, these horses work so hard. And and, and the, I think the other thing that you're saying, too, is that mentally they need that time when they know you're going to get on and you're not going to be bugging them. About yeah. stuff, you know that every time you get on, we have to work, we have to do this, we have to do that, and it just gets old. And it's where the term "ring sour" came from, right? So, you know that they have that time that that they're going. Okay, now occasionally she gets, she's going to get on. We're just going to go out and have fun and explore the world. Uh,
2: yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and this, taking them on this trail, we we picked two horses specifically that they're both good enough horses to go on a trail and, and be safe, but they're both a little goofy. One gilding in particular, we've been riding him for months and he spooks at the same stupid spot in the arena every day. And, you know, we've done tons of groundwork and we've done, you know, lots of concentrated riding and and um it was time for him just to get out. And the great thing about it is we weren't trying to break their spirit, like, oh, well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to ride you for 16 miles. It was, it was really as much for their enjoyment as it was for ours. Um, and this is me and my assistant. I'm talking about. Um, you know, they get to experience novelty, and and it, I feel like when a horse when you take away the boundaries of the fence and the horse can't see where, especially if you're on a trail, and they can't see where the where the beginning or end of it is, they just sort of settle in for the long haul. And I think they really enjoy, you know, their ears are forward the whole time and uh, just letting the trail do the work. And, and like I said, you know, I worked for a guy once who was all about, oh, I don't just ride them on the trail. I bend them and I do this and I side pass and I mean, why do that to your poor horse? You can do that at home in the arena. If your horse needs needs direction, you know, he's buddy sour, he's scared of something. Yeah, I'll direct his feet and give him a little job to do. But other than that, you know, put let, you know, put a little slack in your reins and let him head down the trail and I think it just kind of got all that stuff out of their system. And, and now they've been riding really well, and, and so we're we're going to take them about once a week from now on on that same trail and, and just give them something to do. Uh, even if you're not into trails, um, I, uh, I like to make it a general rule that if I'm riding my horse five days a week, I'll do two or three days of intense, okay, we're working on this, we're working on your lead changes, we're working on your spins, we're doing this, and then Um, A couple of those days need to be just loose rein, let's just steer around and pony lope around the pasture, and I'm going to warm you up, and then we're just going to go have fun. And that is as much training, you know, that's as much of a training experience as doing the other stuff, and you keep your horse from going bonkers.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimise swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. Well, now we have two horse trainers on the line. We have one of our terrific auditors, Allison, coming on to talk to Mary. And Allison is also a horse trainer; has trained mustangs and and done some competition. So it's fun to get you two together. Good morning, Allison.
2: Okay, so you have um, you have an issue. So you're training a young mustang, and uh, you've started him under saddle, and you're having a bit of an issue with rearing. So tell us a little bit about what's going on there.
3: Yes. So um, this is my Mustang, Chico, who I trained through the Youth Extreme Mustang Makeover Competition a couple years back. Um, And I decided to wait to start him under saddle because, obviously, he was a yearling when I got him. Um, I decided to wait to start him under saddle until he was three because I felt like he just needed time to kind of be a horse and mature mentally and physically after the competition. Um, and so over the summer I put the first rides on him and he was doing really well. Um, he's very lazy overall. He's a big boy and he just, he's, he sounds, he's a lot like Guthrie. I think he just doesn't (laughs) want to put a lot of effort into things. Um, but very, very smart. He loves tricks. He loves doing all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was going really well. The major problem we had was just getting his feet to move under saddle, Um, he was pretty willing to do everything. It was just cantering was hard for him. Like he just didn't want to do it. (laughs) Um, but we worked through that over the summer and in the beginning, I didn't worry too much about which leads I was asking him for or anything like that. Um, but I did notice that he never could would or could pick up his left lead correctly. He just really struggled with that. And so I wasn't real worried about it in the beginning because I was working so hard on just getting him to move. (laughs) You know, I didn't want to discourage him by being really specific in the beginning about which which lead you need to be on when you're cantering. Um, And that was all good and fine for a while until he started to just really, really dread any time I would ask him to canter going to the left. Like, he just would do anything to evade it. And it sort of turned into he would duck his head in the opposite direction as soon as we'd be coming around on our circle and he knew I was going to ask him for that direction at the lope he would duck the up opposite direction and just kind of stop and I would have to completely redirect him and move on um and then it morphed into he would immediately slam on the brakes and start rearing which was his new favorite thing to do to evade it (laughs) um And so I'm a little at a loss of like what to do when that happens, like how to correct it. Um, And I I told you in the message I sent you as well, I did wonder if some of it maybe should, we should look at chiropractic work, like if he's off and maybe he's evading it as a source of pain. Um, I'm not sure. But even if we get that figured out and we figure out like, okay, he's off in the shoulder or something. um, I'm still worried that because I know him, he's probably still going to try to pull the same tricks again And I'm just like, I don't know if I should push him forward, if I should bend him around. Like, what do you do whenever you're faced with that kind of a behavior?
2: So that's a really good question and a very, very tricky problem. And I've been through nearly the exact same thing with a horse that I had. This uh, This was a horse that... I bought, he was a little reigning horse, very green, um, and I was working in raining barns, and I was either riding finished show horses or starting colts, and I didn't have any horse that was in the middle of that, that was on my string, so I went out and bought one. And I I made every mistake in the book and had a big rearing problem, and then I had to fix it all. I had to, like I was just by myself having to fix it all. And man, it was such a good learning experience. I mean,
3: if you make it through in one piece, this will be excellent for your horse training. Yeah. <laughs> we well, that's what my home mom's home worried about. She's worried about the making it through in one piece part. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And rearing can turn into a very dangerous behavior really, really quickly. So, so with, my, with my particular horse, I had the same thing, only it wasn't with leads; It was with braining spins to the right, um, where it just started, he just wasn't as good to the right, and I'd push him a little harder and a little harder, and then it turned into he stopped trying, and he started throwing a shoulder out. He started, you know, running backwards, and then it turned to rearing. And um, it's very difficult, once the horse learns that they can pop up, and I don't care how good a rider you are. You're not going to be hanging on the reins as they're going in the air. You know, there's going to be a moment where your instinct is, your survival instinct is going to kick in and you're going to release that horse. And so that horse realizes, aha. And then pretty soon, instead of rearing after we're working the turnarounds, it just turns into rearing when I pull the right rein. And yes, that happened. (laughs) Yes. And, and pretty soon it'll be rearing when you step in the saddle. And, most horses have enough sense about them not to flip over, but some horses will get brave enough over time to do it, and that's that's a very dangerous situation, and it can be hard to ride through, and uh, with this horse in particular, it did turn out to be a health issue. Uh, early on, I thought it was a teeth issue because he sen- seemed sensitive in the mouth, so I took him to my vet, had his teeth done, and then I thought, we're done, you know, rearing problem over. Well, no. Um, your your fears are are a little bit founded of him. Okay, now he's learned how to do it. It's an evasive thing, and uh, he's just going to keep doing it. And this horse did keep doing it. Turns out the vet who did his teeth, when I had a different an actual equine dentist come out, he said no, he's still really sharp. He's ulcerated the sides of his mouth, and so I had to get him his teeth done twice within six months, and then even still we had the rearing. And so how do you fix this? no matter, even if it is a a health reason that that they started doing it, it's a pain issue, it can linger because they've just learned how to do it. They've kind of worn that little neural pathway in their brain and it just becomes this knee-jerk reaction. So I would say um, the number one Thing to do to fix this, and of course, you know, I would recommend maybe having uh, having a vet check. Um, sometimes horses with problems in their stifles or hocks, whether it's arthritis or OCDs or something's just out, will have a really strong aversion to picking up a lead. So you'll definitely mm-hmm. want to get that checked out. Um, you know, I uh, I would not uh, rule out. Uh, any kind of, having any kind of body work done or just having a vet look at him, maybe even doing, you know, uh, taking a couple of slides of his, x-ray slides of his back legs. Um, but let's just say, okay, we've either found out what the health issue is or we ruled that out as a, um, uh, as an issue. Uh, one thing I would ask before I go any further uh does he have the same problem? Have you ever round pinned him? And this is, this is Jen's question actually. Um, does he have this problem when you're doing groundwork, whether you're lunging him or working him in the round pin?
3: Okay. So we do a lot of Liberty work. So like he, he's trained to, we do a lot of Liberty lunging where he's just circling around me and he knows to stay in a circle and all of that. And like, he has really good self-care. He's very balanced overall, but even in our, and that's what makes me think it's probably a chiropractic or like you said, a stifle issue or something, even in his circles, whenever he is like can't loping around me at Liberty, he will still struggle with that lead like he if I really 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 push him off into it he'll get it but if I just say the word lope because he knows his voice cue so if I say the word lope and he knows he's supposed to pick up the lope most of the time he's not going to pick up the correct one and he's going to try to and I mean he will lope a tiny liberty circle around me on the right lead going to the left like he will do that and so like that's what makes me think it's probably has to do with that and what you said about like it getting worse last time I wrote him, it took him two times to get to this point. The first time he started rearing and I was like, okay, this is a problem. He's never done this before. So I tried to address it. And then the next time I got on him, he like immediately started rearing whenever I got on him. So it's definitely like, uh, now he's just used that as an aversion tactic for everything And so, and also with how lazy he is, I feel like it has to be rooted in pain somewhere because he would never put that much effort into just avoiding something generally. (laughs) Um, He's generally like, it's it's easier for him to be good. Like, this is a three-year-old Mustang that will lay down on cue under saddle. Like, he he can do that, but we can't pick up the left lead. Like... (laughs)
2: Yeah, so so I'm leaning toward, uh, you know, I think your instincts are right in that I would have it could be as simple as a pinched nerve or just something's out of whack, or you know, some of these little mustangs can come in with old injuries um, from mm-hmm. either being out in the wild or you know something happens in the shoot when they're getting vaccinated or whatever. Um, so I, I would probably have them, you know, maybe take them, haul them to your vet. And before you go into the crazy x-rays and all that, you could do some flex tests and, and, um, have them go for you. I would definitely go down that path of, uh, whether yeah. you have a chiropractor come out or someone who does body work or a vet, I would check that out because in my experience, Um, it's not uncommon for Colts to only want to pick up one lead and you have to kind of push them on this side. But when it becomes just straight up aversion, please don't make me lope this lead. um, Usually the uh, most of the time it's a, comfort or pain issue um yeah or one time I, I it was because i didn't know it was a mule i had i didn't know he was gated and for some reason <laughs> I very difficult for him with the canner <laughs> oh my goodness. a lot of gated horses have no problem but um yeah so that's a whole other story <laughs> but <laughs> so either either he's in pain or he's gated no <laughs> um <laughs> So, so I would have that ruled out, and and I'm betting, and I think your instincts are probably correct. Let's say you get it all fixed, you find out what it is, you're able to solve it, or you know, just decide, well, okay, we're only going to have one lead, or or whatever. Let's let's take the pain out of the issue or any kind of body problems. And now we need to fix the training because a lot of times you do fix the discomfort and they still have that kind of memory of, no, I don't really mm-hmm. like doing this or I felt all this pressure and I don't want to do it. And the rearing's just so much easier because unless you're just crazy, um, we back off when they rear and you probably oh, yeah. should. I wouldn't keep hauling on their face or. Um, yeah. So the number one thing that fixes rearing is forward. Um I've been told by people in the past to bend a horse. I would not do that unless your horse is just really, really amazing, good at bending. I wouldn't do it because I've seen people pull horses over onto themselves trying to do
3: that. Yes, and that's what scares me is because, like, that was my first instinct is, like, you know, any time that he would get out of control, I would bend around, and that's what I started feeling is, like, wait, I feel like if I bend your nose around right now, you're going to fall over on me, and I don't want that to happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've I've seen it happen. It's not fun. Um, There were broken bones. So I really try to avoid that. Um, So I would probably go back to the ground and put him in, you know, start probably in the round pen and really work on forward. Um, So not so much the, the tight liberty circles. I'd make sure he can go along that fence. And when you give him, when you cluck, I would probably use a cluck, I want him to go and go now. Really, you know, hustle around that that round pen just for a second. All I need to happen is when I ask you, you give me try, even if it's for a split second. I want to see, you know, you Move forward and move out. So I really work on forward on the ground. And um, when it happens under saddle, what I typically do is I give them their head and I ask them to go. I don't care where you go, as long as it's not backwards or continuing to go up. I give them their head and I make them go. And uh, you can even kind of go back to, uh, I, when I have a horse that is difficult to go forward, like a colt I'm starting, um, I'll have someone flag me on the ground so that mm-hmm. way, I'm not the one having to constantly try and kick and, and, and get the horse to go. So I'll give the horse a cue that says go forward, and I'll have someone behind me with a flag, and that could give them that little extra boost. And so when you've got a horse that's rearing, let's say you were all the way up to working on that lead, when it comes to the this point of, okay, they're rearing when I ask them to do anything, then we're going to throw out all that advanced stuff we were working on and just settle for, just go. And anytime you feel him doing it, just get him to go somewhere, anywhere, trot, canter, I don't care, just go forward. And uh, I I do this on a a pretty loose rein. I don't want to be in their mouth when I do it. And I would go back. I would pretend like he's a baby colt fresh out of the round pen and just working on moving forward before you go back to working on that lead.
3: Yeah. So just keep, and so like if he say I get on him and like, cause like last, the last ride I had on him, I literally got on him. And the moment I asked him to move off, he started backing up and then rearing. And so like in that case, when he's backing up and you feel him starting to rear, I mean, squeeze, cluck, spank. I mean, are we just like, until he goes forward? Cause he's probably still going to try to rear, but even when he's rearing, would you just keep that pressure on without pulling him around in his mouth?
2: Yes, I wouldn't be crazy with the pressure, but I would keep some sort of pressure and and use that pressure from behind is what I would do. Um, Yeah,
3: and then just ride it until he moves forward.
2: Yes, and as soon as he does, release everything. Um, I would probably go back to your groundwork a little bit and just ease off of the riding for a little while. You can even start working on long lining. Um, mm-hmm. things like that, where you are behind the horse and asking them to move forward. And it is very similar to riding, but you don't have as much of the danger there of actually being on a rearing horse. Um, with the long lining, I do it very slowly and in steps. I wouldn't just hook long lines up to them and then ask them to move forward because then you're probably going to get even more rearing. But I start with a lunge line. Um, and then I put the second line on him and I ask him to still kind of go around like I'm lunging him. If that makes any sense, I won't actually be behind the horse for some time.
3: Yeah. Well, and he had done, we had done quite a bit of that before we started riding. And, you know, I guess what was a little bit frustrating for me was just that like we had made a lot of progress. Like he was picking up the lope without me having to squeeze and, you know, really spank on him or anything. Cause in the beginning, like that, it, that's what it took. And it was hard to get him to move. And so he was understanding, but we just never could really get past that lead. And then once he, it was one of those things, like once he figured out, Oh my goodness, if I rear, like he's, he's no dummy. He knows if he can figure out how to get out of, you know, what he doesn't want to do, then he's going to do it. And so once he figured that out, it was like the very next ride, everything it was like we had gone back to square one, you know, know, like everything was.
0: I am definitely, I am betting your $4,000 vet bill that it's going to be something medical.
3: I know. I know. Honestly, I think so. Because like, like I said, like this is a three year old that, does liberty trick yeah, tricks that's like just, i mean unfortunately what i'm saying do anything for me yeah
0: unfortunately what i'm saying is probably true it's gonna be the four thousand dollar vet bill to figure it out yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i know that's, <laughs> that's what i worried that's about. the sad part but, uh, you know yeah
3: yeah no i know that's and that's what i kept telling i kept coming back to like he has never been this acted out this much just for the fun of it like he's not a horse that's just going to do that because and and you know
2: most any breed of horse i made the you know it was the 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 gated instance was kind of a fluke but most (laughs) any breed of horses is is, should not have too difficult a time picking up both leads and when they get really aversive to one to where now it's it's turned into rearing um that's probably going to be the root of your issue I would I would definitely start there. The last thing I'll leave you with, um, you know, uh, once you're able to figure out that it is or it isn't, is when we're training young horses, uh, we will get them so far, like oh my gosh, they're neck reining, they're doing this, and then all of a sudden in a week, it feels like I have to go back to the round pen. That's pretty normal for horse training. That That's normal. And just because you have to go back and say, okay, let's just walk before we can run once again, or we're back to the crawling stage, it doesn't mean that you're going to lose any of the progress that you made. It'll still be there waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels like backing off of the pressure. Um, it feels like oh, man, I failed or I'm letting him get away with it more or whatever. It's not that at all. Sometimes they just need the pressure off and just forget about it for a while. And when you come back to it, don't have these big expectations of you were doing this before. Just Walk before you run, and just start all over again. I mean, you've got a lifetime to to get them where you need them to be. The you know, that's a good thing, is you're not up against any kind of deadline, and it'll all be yeah. there waiting for you when you get back to the more advanced stuff.
0: Well, Allison, yeah, thank you absolutely. for thank you for joining us today, and good luck with this. And remember, uh, if you're going to get them moving forward, to stay on in the meantime, that's the key. Uh, all right, and uh, Mary, that was that was uh, great to talk to Allison, and she, you know, she knows what she's doing. So it was interesting to hear the two of you talk about that because that I'm still betting her large vet bill that that's what is going to be.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I went through the same thing not with rearing but with Guthrie, I was like, why are you pinning your ears when I ask you to move forward, and why are you swishing your tail? And oh, many many thousands of dollars later. Oh, you have navicular syndrome. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that was the very that was just so, he was so great with everything, and I'm just like.
0: Just Unfortunately, these the kind details. of issues are the expensive ones because it, it's a process of elimination. The vet starts eliminating things, and every elimination costs you three hundred dollars, and that's coming yeah, from the horse husband know. point of view. Yep. It's, yeah,
2: it's you don't know if it's high, if it's low. This is, this same is the same thing
0: happens when know. you bring your car in, right? You know, it's four hundred dollars okay. to start, and then they start eliminating things, and everyone's two hundred dollars after that. So, yep. yep. Good <laughs> well. Good yeah, unfortunately, our horses don't have the computer chip that they can just plug into to see which code is going off. Um, I know. Like our cars do. Yeah. If we, we need to invent that. We'd be in good shape. Teach uh, horses to talk. Yeah, that's right. That's all we have to do. So, yeah. Mary, get yeah. on that.
1: Well, I wanted to let everybody know that our show is brought to you day, today in part by the folks over there at Totalsaddlefit.com. Did you know the Total Saddle Fit has a shoulder relief cinch? That's right for Western folks because horses who are ridden Western want to be comfortable too, as we just uh, noticed when we chatted with Allison. The Total Saddle Fit shoulder relief cinch improves the saddle fit and the horse's comfort. Why? Because it sits the set in this the center of the cinch sits in the horse's natural girth groove while the sides are set back a little bit so that where it attaches to the latigos are a little bit further back and it keeps the saddle from being pushed onto the horse's shoulders. The unique has the unique shape has special cuts in the elbows so that they don't get those little elbow rubs, all commonly known as girth galls. Everybody hates those and it uses interchangeable liners. So your cinch can have high quality limestone neoprene wool felt or wool fleece or you can have one of each you can use the same cinch on lots of different horses, and always have a clean one and you can find the total saddle fit shoulder relief cinch at top retailers all around the country or you can buy them online just go to totalsaddlefit.com to learn more or make a purchase
0: very good. Thank you, Jennifer. I love that we have a mule question this time, because, of course, Mary's dealt with mules a little bit all over time. Brenda asked, what do you do about a mule who locks his neck and takes off while being led? Well, you have two choices, in my opinion. You hold on and take a ride, or you let go and pray. So there's those two, right?
2: Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And <laughs> um, I think you picked the most challenging question. Uh, that's of why all I did it. Questions. I did it. You and know I... what?
0: You make the big bucks. I thought we'd make you work this morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: that is a tricky one, and it's it's more compounded is it... with it being a mule.
0: Oh, that's my question. It is it more compounded with it being a mule?
2: Yes. Okay. Um, so, it, my, my general rule of thumb, uh, like with Allison's rearing or a horse or a mule that has learned to bolt away and pull the lead drop out of your hand. You can generally let them get away with it three times if it's a horse. No more than three, and now it's an issue. Now they know. Now it's a habit, and you're going to have to work extra hard to undo it. With a mule, that number is one. You can let that happen once. You really can't let it even happen once.
0: Um, Well, wait a a minute here. So the way I see it, the wives are the same way. You can let them get get away with it once, and then after that, you're done. (laughs)
2: Them get away with it. Yes, <laughs> yes, sure. I knew you were going to say that. I, I knew you were going to say that. I was just leading you
0: through.
2: on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So yes, I have dealt with this and mules are amazing masters of knowing where they can find release. Um, So that can make them very trainable or if they do learn a bad habit such as pulling away from you, uh, you're in a bit of a pickle because they know how to tweak their neck muscles just right to get that lead rope to slide through your hands. So in a situation like this, I have been all over the place, trying to find answers because i I had a meal that did this um you have two options: you need to to increase the pressure on that meal so much that he'll never want to do it again in in which case you have to get pretty crazy and i I don't like going down that road, and sometimes there is no amount of pressure you can use to get a meal to not want to pull that lead rope out of your hands. Or you can back off and, and and back off quite a bit. And I'm talking start all the way back. Um, this is one of those things I know not everyone is clicker trainers, uh, it, uh, it, you know, is into clicker training. But this is one of those issues that I would clicker train personally. Um, and you're just taking this poison situation of they have learned, I don't know what's causing this meal to do this or, or what, if something happened or whatever, um you know if it came with this issue um i if if i had this new in training i would start all the way back uh to a liberty training situation where i'm teaching it to target train using the clicker and starting all over with that halter teaching them to to accept the halter teaching them to, to tip their nose left and right and all of those things before i start trying to lead it across a parking lot or anything like that um, you don't have to be a quicker trainer to do that kind of thing, but um, I would start all the way back down, and I would get that mule really, really good with the halter of uh, yielding its quarters. I would try and train it in a very low-pressure situation to start. I would not try to go at it with a, what you know, uh, if you do this, I'm going to punish you, because let me tell you, you can't find a punishment harsh enough once they've learned to do this to make them want to stop they know they can get that rope away from you so if you get big and crazy and mean then they'll say huh, I just run away and problem solved you know I leave you in the dust so you have to be their friend um so I would get them very, very good with yielding their hindquarters. And what I mean by that is I want to be able to tip their nose with the halter and have their hind end step away from me with their inside hind leg crossing in front of their outside hind leg and get them to pivot those hindquarters around and give them big, big rewards for doing that, whether you're using food as a training reward or backs, or scratches or just a big release of pressure. And I would train them in an area. Well, isn't like that most six.
0: important, too, Mary? I mean, geez, there's nobody who kicks like a mule with those back legs. You don't want them coming at you.
2: Yeah, let me tell you, if a mule kicks at you and misses, they weren't trying to hit you. <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing is, I have been kicked by lots of horses, only ever been kicked by a mule once. Huh. Um, they... they you know, mules. People kind—they of, kind of get a bad rap. Oh, they're stubborn and oh, they're going to kick you. Um, they have deadly aim, of course. Uh, but re- most mules I've been around are going to try very hard not to be naughty. And usually, if they do something to you. Um, You were asking for it. (laughs) Uh, Or you did not see the sign. That's the thing with mules. If it gets to the point where you've been kicked by one, they have given you tons of warning. It might be very subtle. It might be the flick of an ear, uh, the way their eye looks. um, And they might be telling you, please don't do that. I would rather you not. I'd rather you not do that. And then finally, when it comes down to kicking, okay, I told you I was not cool with this. Mm. You have to be pretty vigilant around them, and you have to really take into consideration that, in my opinion, mules are not as reactive as horses, but they're much. I feel they're they're very sensitive they're much more sensitive they just don't do the same thing that horses do horses tend to flee more um than they do than than anything else a mule will be very stoic about something and you might not know that he's uncomfortable and it will take him running away from you pulling that lead up out of your hands or kicking you before you realize oh he wasn't really okay in this situation um they're just not quite as uh reactive and obvious in their discomfort. So when a mule just kind of sits down and says, I'm not going to go anymore, it's usually that's their way to say, I'm uncomfortable. This isn't working for me. I don't trust you. So again, I would go way, way back and really work those hindquarters, work them in a place like a round pen where they have enough distance that they don't feel claustrophobic with you. But if they do, and I would have a long lead rope. So even if they do, quote, unquote, get away from you in a round pen with a long lead rope, they really haven't gotten away from you, if that makes any sense. I'd get them really, really good at uh, uh, at if they start to leave. You can hold your ground. I, I act like I'm a fence post in the ground. Tip that nose, yield those hindquarters, give them a face up. As soon as they face me, take away all the pressure. If they'll allow me to, I'll scratch their face, I'll give them a cookie, whatever. And I would slowly build up to a situation where you're leading them in bigger and bigger areas. But I will tell you, it's a very, very tricky one to get fixed.
0: Um... This is a good one that I think almost anybody that's owned any amount of horses over a lifetime has run into one of these. And it's usually when you first get them, you don't know. Again, you don't know where they've been, what's what been happening. So Marie asks, hard to catch remedies. And I assume what she means by that is you got a horse in the field and it's just impossible to catch that sucker. And, you know, we've all had that horse, right? We've all gotten that in. Jennifer and I have had a couple over the years that... you. How do you just get them to the point where they're anxious to come in?
2: Well, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, One thing that you might try, and this has uh, been really helpful to me, if you have like a catch pen or a place that you can put that horse up every morning and evening, if you're feeding that horse, I would catch them and feed them their breakfast and dinner in a stall. Um, or sometimes I've tied them to a fence and put a little hanging feed bucket and feed them. Um, That way, that horse is like, it becomes a habit to where, okay, I want to get caught because as soon as I get caught, I'm going to get my meal. And then you can usually ride them after that and turn them out. But they'll remember that as soon as you get that halter on, you're going to lead them to where they're going to get their breakfast.
0: And what what I've found with a lot of these though, Mary, is they don't get they're just turned out, so yeah, so, so. What you you're saying them, is feed them. Is feed them something? Yeah, give them a handful of you, grain or whatever. Yeah,
2: yeah. You can give them an arbitrary breakfast. Um, if it's a horse that maybe can't have grain, you can give them hay pellets or something. Um, I, I, even if it's a horse that doesn't get morning, you know, I, I would at least do this once a day um if you are catching them if they're not getting a grain if, they, if you're not they're not getting grain they're not getting meals and they're just getting it all from forage um uh, which is totally fine and you're just catching them to plan to ride them before you just like um you know catch them up and just go ride i would you know i would tie them up and, and feed them a little something and that's one thing you can do uh i i i really like to make them feel good for getting caught um, one of the problems I had when I would ask this question is I had to get people that say, oh, round pen and work on the round pen and getting them to face up. But it always seemed like once they were out in a big pasture where there's no really walls that, you know, they, they're kind of compelled to face up to me because they don't really have anywhere to go in a round pen. Once they're out in the pasture, it doesn't really work. So one thing that...
0: No, they'll face you right before they turn and run off. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Exactly. So one thing that I have tried that I saw another trainer do that has worked for me, but you have to commit some time to it, get some comfortable shoes, is a process called walking them down. And this is kind of like round pinning in a giant round pin. So what I do... I don't hide the halter. I don't get any kind of like passive body language. I just walk out there like I'm going to catch you. And um they'll run away. And I just keep following them. If they run across the pasture, I'll just keep crossing the pasture with them. Sometimes this will take half an hour when you start doing this. And I just follow them and follow them. And I do this with, you know, like I pick a day when I got plenty of time. And, um... I will just walk them down, just keep walking behind them. Um, I don't care how fast they go. I don't, I don't really, you know, I'm not going to try. And uh, where I've seen people make the mistake is if a horse gets in the corner, they'll try to hold them in the corner. I'm not going to try and trap them anywhere. They know they can get away from me. Um, and eventually, after you walk and walk and walk and follow that horse all over the place, the horse will probably come to a stop. When they stop, I stop. If they face me, I might walk away for a few seconds, give them, you know, give them a little bit of relief, and then I'll go start in to catch them again. And if they leave again, I just keep following them. And believe it or not, I've had this work, and I just I make sure that when the horse stops, I stop. If they face me, I might turn away, I might take a few steps back, and then go again. And uh, it takes it might take up to a half hour the first day, um, but it takes less time every day once you get pretty good at it. And, you know, once you do catch them, you can give them a reward. You could do what I was saying earlier, bring them in and feed them. Um, but, but that's the best thing I've had for, okay, I don't have a round pen or I can't get this horse out of the pasture and he's in the pasture and this is what I have to deal with today. I use that process of walking them down. That seems to really help when I don't have a lot of other options.
0: Jennifer, you do something similar to that. I mean, that's what we did.
1: Yes, very similar in that um, if the horse doesn't walk up to you, because like if we, if I go out at seven o'clock in the morning, of course, he's standing there at the gate waiting for me because he knows it's breakfast time. But if I walk out in the middle of the field in the middle of the day, there's only one reason I'm coming out there. And he knows that he, we're going to go for a ride. Maybe he doesn't want to go for a ride today. So I took the time and it was a very similar process to teach the horse to join up with me in my particular case. Um, But it's a very similar process in that you're never chasing the horse. You're never the cougar. And, but yet you're still, from his point of view, you're still moving him. You're making him move because you're coming towards him. He's like, I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. Oh, wait a minute. If I don't move, you stop. Wait a minute. I kind of like that. And so it's it's kind of a little psychological game, but I agree with you. You Commit to the time, commit to the patience. Because if you get halfway through that process and then lose your temper and, you know, go chasing him off or do something silly, you've just ruined it.
0: All right, good. Uh, Lindsay asked, what do you do for a horse who will get into the trailer but won't stay in there? Rockets backwards after standing for 1.3 seconds and rockets back, rockets Rockets backwards off the trailer when the destination is reached too. We had one that did this, too. And this is not only it's dangerous for everybody, actually.
2: Um, Yeah, that's a terrific question. And um, most most of the time our instinct is to do the exact wrong thing, which is to try to close them up in the trailer before they go back. Do not do that. You will get hurt. You'll get a trailer door to the face. Uh, you'll get a horse that's even more scared than they were a few minutes ago. Um, Anytime I've had people help me load a horse, um, I hate it, hate it, hate it when they try to swing that door closed as soon as my horse gets in. I'm like, no, don't do that. So my rule of thumb is, and I do this when I'm teaching one to load or if I have one with this specific problem, I load them up. If they want to back out, I absolutely let them do that because what that horse is saying is he says, I don't want to be trapped. He's so scared that you're going to do exactly what you're thinking of doing, of slamming that door and closing him up, that he can't stay in for very long. He has to back out. Um, you know, that that's like if he, I would have the same reaction. If I walk into a small, dark closet and someone slammed the door, you bet I want out of that thing as soon as possible. Um, so uh, if they want to back out, I absolutely let them back out. Let them back up as far as they need to go and it seems counterintuitive but what you're telling that horse is if you need to get out of here you can get out i'm not going to trap you i'm not going to close this door until you're comfortable as soon as they back out i gently load them back up again and i give them every opportunity to back out if they want to i let them back out give them a second let them go oh man that was close load them back up again and when i load them back up again I'm not going to be like, why, I ought and whip them back into the trailer. I just load them nonchalantly back in the trailer. And you'll do this maybe four or five, six times. And pretty soon your horse is going to get in that trailer and go, okay, okay, maybe you're not going to slam me into the trailer. And the best time to practice this, if you have a horse you know does this, is when you don't have anywhere to go because the best thing you can do for your horse, as soon as they stand still, maybe this horse is really terrible about this, and they can't even stand still in the trailer for a second. So I will work on this, load in, let them back out, load up, let them back out, load up, let them back out, and then say one of those times they load up and they stand for a moment. Then I will back, if I can get it to where now I say, okay, now you can back out, I'll put them away. See, that was such a great try. Horses are going to have a different threshold. Sometimes you do this a couple of times and the horse goes, oh, okay, I'm fine. Sometimes it'll take a few days. And I'd practice this and get them to stand in there longer and longer and longer. I don't, unless, sometimes you've got to do what you got to do, but I don't like to close the door on a horse that wants to get back out um, because what he's going to do, as soon as you get to the destination, you're going to open the door and he's going to go, ah, and back out really quick. Let's say your horse loaded fine and he got in there great, and you get to the destination, and you open the door, and he comes screaming backwards. No matter what is going on at the show or whatever, if I have to get, you know, sometimes I get ahead of myself, and I want to find my stalls and do this and this and this. If my horse does that in the parking lot, you know what? You're going to get back in the trailer again. And I'll I'll do the same thing at the show. Load them up, let them back out. Load them up, let them back out. Load them up, let them back out. If they load up and they stand for a moment or two, then I'll back them out. Okay, now we can get on with what we're doing. If the problem hasn't gotten really bad, if you're really vigilant and you get on top of this before it gets really big, sometimes it's a five-minute solution and they're good. Sometimes you allow them to back out a couple of times, realize that you're not going to slam the door on them and they're they're fine. And some horses are going to take a little longer, but no matter what, I don't when I load any horse, I'm not closing that door unless that horse is standing there quiet and relaxed. And I will take the time it takes to make sure that that happens before I close that door and haul him anywhere. And sometimes that's a long time, but you got to do what you got to do before it becomes a very serious issue.